Hello and welcome to another episode of Hot Takes. The Story Screen Reports presents Story Screen Presents Podcast. Take it from the top. Keep going. The Story Screen Presents Podcast, <laughs> where we talk about new movies. I am Mike Burge. I'll be hosting this episode, quotations around hosting. Uh, and I am joined today by... Diana DeMiro, hello. Yeah, and we are going to be talking about Mission Impossible. Dead. Mission colon impossible dash dead reckoning dash part one. No, I won't. Okay, please. It's too early. New Mission Impossible movie. We're talking about it. Uh, if you guys don't know, uh, up front, about first 15, 20 minutes or so going to be spoiler free. We will let you know like when we're going to start going into spoilers, but we're just going to generally give you our ideas and feelings on the movie that we just saw a few days ago. Um, we haven't really talked about it all that much, so this will be a lot of fun too for us to just, uh, converse about this. There's a lot of things that happen in this movie that some people are talking about a lot and we're going to talk about them now. Now it's our turn. And you get to listen to us talk about them. But before we move on... It's our time. Down uh, here. <laughs> Hot Takes isn't the only uh, podcast that we have on Story Screen Presents. If you go to storyscreenpresents.com, you'll find a slew of other podcasts from Overdrinkers, Cathode Raycast, Freaking Out with Flanagan, and also our Patreon where we are covering... You know, we cover Tony Collette's filmography, Robert Pattinson's filmography. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. All uh, kinds of fun stuff. Fun Game stuff. stuff. Edgar Wright's Eight over there. Yep. Edgar Wright. Loads of cool stuff. And then there's also loads of articles and reviews. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of every page and just, uh, you know, get a heads up once a week and see all the new content that we got. Sounds good. Sounds great. Other than that, let's move right on. All right. Mission Impossible. Dead, Dead Reckoning. Reckoning. Part one. Uh, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah. Uh, starring, um, hold on, I had the IMDb here. Let me check real quick. What's the guy's <laughs> name? It's, uh, uh, Tom Cruise. Starring Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell. Um. Spoiler it, free. Spoiler free. It is the. Did you enjoy? Seventh, it's the seventh Mission Impossible number movie. Seven. Number seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like this movie a lot. This movie uh, rocks. It's right, so a lot of fun. Talk about it spoiler free. And now I will do my best to spoiler not. To spoil not. Um, I mean, it's everything that's kind of you'd expect like a Mission Impossible movie to be at this point. After uh, McHugh took over uh, halfway through Ghost Protocol and then, you know, did Rogue Nation, did Fallout, which I love. I love all those movies, but I truly do think that Fallout is really something special. We talked about it a lot the year that it came out. Yeah, Fallout's my fave. Uh, this movie has a lot of the same energy and a lot of the same um, verve and confidence that Fallout had that made that so good. I don't think it's as good as Fallout, but I was not expecting that to happen. Fallout is... A lot of random things falling into place just right with a lot of talent behind it. Not unlike the IMF themselves. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talent behind the camera here, but I feel like some of it just like it just ends up working with one another despite all of its moving parts in a way that just like kind of makes sense. In this movie, you have like you've got weird like Buster Keaton comedy moments and you've just got like flat out like. <laughs> what seems to be improvised lines of dialogue that are just really funny and then death defying, like literally death defying stunts and action set pieces. Um, you've got Palm Clementif, which is great. Uh, toss that into any movie and you'll be fine. Mantis. Mantis, for those that don't know, which is a weird thing to not know. <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, overall, like this is the type of movie we went and saw this in IMAX. We've got a fun anecdote about that that we'll share later. Um, Super loud, really big uh, opening day-ish. So huge crowd. It was great. Like that's the kind of stuff that you want to go to a movie theater yeah. and experience. It's a little long, but I honestly didn't really feel it all that much up until right before the third act is about to start. Because there's like no spoilers. There's a beat right before the third act starts that is kind of letting us know like we're almost there. Like yeah. this is what we're about to enter. This will be the rest of the movie. And when that happens, you're like, oh, that's right. How long have I been here? And you realize, like, oh, you've been in the theater now for, like... For days. For a very long time. Uh, I don't knock a long movie um, if it needs it and if it earns it. This movie is this long because it has multiple set pieces in it that take forever. There's literally a chase sequence in the middle of the movie that is roughly half an hour long straight. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Um, 
I really liked it. What about you? I didn't like it as much as the previous two, and I was really pumped for it. So in that vein, I was slightly disappointed, but uh, I'll get more into that during spoilies because a lot of it had to do with character usage and plot points specifically that I was kind of excited about. But if you flip it, it goes back to kind of earlier and there is mask, 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 mask. There's so many masks and there's Tom Cruise doing silly sleight of hand. Uh, is he a magician? Kind of. It's anybody. So, we recently watched the Brian De Palma, the first one. Yeah, so this it's movie fun. is very much kind of in conversation back. with yeah. that movie. There's a lot of the same kind of set pieces, characters, yeah. character motivations, and moments. Yeah. McHugh is doing some Dutch angles in this, which is yeah. De Palma's like bread and butter, but it's also fun. It's, it's fun. fun. Yeah. Um, to speak to what you said about like the the length. And plot pieces. There's a lot of cool action sequences. There is a lot of like homages to, you know, if you saw the trailer, it's not going to be a surprise. It's like Italian job esque with Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise in a tiny Fiat mm -hmm. in Italia. Um, and, you know, there's probably a little bit of, of sequences that they could have trimmed, but. You know, it's it's a really fucking entertaining, and I recommend seeing it on a big screen, seeing it loud, and yeah, it was an enjoyable experience. It was it was really awesome to see with a packed audience. That's always fun because then you get to have that interaction with laughing and shock value and Palm Clementith as sort of like badass villain. Uh, action star. She was kind of scary and deranged, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, Haley Atwell, I wasn't sure how she was going to fit in, and she was great. And I do think that there is some improv between her and Tom Cruise, which is kind of cool, because mm -hmm. he doesn't seem like that kind of an actor to roll with No, the, it seems the very in control, yeah. very organized and stuff like that. Yeah, so it was fun. Their interactions were fun. Uh, you still get Simon Pegg, you still get Rebecca Ferguson, you still get Ving Rhames, and you get some throwbacks, like you said, to the first Mission Impossible movie. You've got some characters that come into play that are in the trailer, so if you've seen the old ones, you'll recognize the people. Um, but yeah, I recommend it. Go see it. Go see it in the theater. Don't wait for it to come out on streaming. Go see it. Yeah, that's a big movie to go see in the theater, like, obviously. Like, that's just, it's a, it's an event. Uh, the fun thing about this movie, too, is that, you know, this is coming out the summer after Tom Cruise, um, you know, in a way, pretty much like saved movie theaters. I know that like it's kind of become like a joke to kind of like joke around about that and stuff like that. But like quite literally Top Gun Maverick was this thing that just like bombarded the movie theaters in America and around the world and just made so much money yeah. and was pretty much genuinely beloved across the board by everybody. Yeah, Another movie that was long that people were like, it's a little long, but so, I like it. So my spoiler free take is that to me, this is not Top Gun Maverick. No, these like, are two very different movies. They're very different movies. Um, still starring hunky dory Tom Cruise, mm -hmm. but you know, this is a different movie and yeah, but still we're seeing no, absolutely. And I was saying that's like the thing about Top Gun Maverick is that Top Gun Maverick was shot in 2018, but did not ultimately come out until 2021 because they kept pushing it and holding it off because they wanted it to be released in theaters, like yeah. when people were going back to the theaters. So this movie was already pretty much just about wrapped up filming by the time Maverick was coming out. They were still doing like a bunch of other like the big stunts and stuff, which they saved for last because just in case. Uh, and it's it's just kind of interesting that back to back 2021, 2022, like the biggest movie of the year is Mission Impossible, right? Like there's the Marvel movies, but I don't think the Marvel movies compare to a Mission Impossible movie, especially after the success of Fallout and the success of Top Gun last year. Oppenheimer and Barbie are like a moment, but I really don't think that that's beyond like Barbie's got one of the biggest marketing campaigns out there right now, so it's everywhere. And Oppenheimer is a Christopher Nolan movie, which always gets big hype. But, like, yeah. Mission Impossible is, like, the movie of the summer. Like, that's the big... I don't think people think that now. No? I watched a pretty good uh, Let Me Explain 
uh-huh. YouTube channel video, and he was talking about how... Did you listen? Listen. Yeah, I did. And um, he was talking about how, you know, Warner Brothers released Barbie to kind of be like a, a screw you to Nolan yeah. because he left and mm-hmm. went to Universal and then... Well, yeah, because Warner Brothers screwed him over with... Right. Yeah, like, so, fuck, fuck them. But it's interesting because that unintentionally ate up all of these theaters and how actually Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is not being shown in full... IMAX. Yep. So that's why they pushed it back yeah. almost an entire week. They literally got this thing released on the Sunday prior to the Friday it was supposed to come out. Right. They're like, now we'll release it on Wednesday. Tuesday premieres. Actually, if you go to Walmart, you can see it on Sunday. It's like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. So, but, but even at the IMAX theaters, it's not actually being shown. The cut is not being shown full, like, mm-hmm. span of IMAX, which I thought was very interesting after all of that push and pull of. Tom Cruise being pissed that it wasn't getting the release in the IMAX theater. So then supposedly he was trying to push for it to get in as many regular theaters as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and our, our cats are knocking stuff yeah, down. And our cats are knocking stuff down in the background because yeah. they don't like to be ignored. So, but, uh, but yeah, I still think it's fun to see it in a big, loud theater. Mm-hmm. Go for it. And yeah, I mean, this is like. On that studio note, just because, you know, we'll probably start talking about the movie more in depth pretty soon, but this is the thing is like, there was recently an article that came out that was like from about 10 years ago with uh, Steven Spielberg talking about like, you know, the death of the movie theaters and stuff like that and how studios are essentially going to be the thing that causes like this implosion in Hollywood. And we've talked about it on the podcast too over the course of like the past, like, you know, four or five years as we've been you know, not only covering movies, but also, you know, running a movie theater and stuff like that. So we're kind of like involved in like how studios talk to each other and what they do and what the laws and rules are. Um, and the studios are like screwing each other over right now. There's always been like a comp- a competitive nature to it, you know, like it's who's going to be the studio that rules the summer, that rules the award season. Sure. But there's always been like a decent amount of respect and just like coordination and understanding where it's like, in theory, we're going to stay out of <laughs> Mission Impossible's way for at least two weeks, not only so that we get the best numbers that we can with our movie, but that they also get time to also do that. There's like a push and pull yeah, that share. allows there. You know, it is a it is a business, so there is competition 100%. But there has always been this understanding of everybody, including both studios and the audience, will have the best experience if we just isolate it out like this. Give Guardians of the Galaxy its two weeks, then we'll drop this. Give yeah. that its two weeks, then we'll drop this. Uh, Every now and then things will lap over. The sandbox. But like Oppenheimer and Barbie, the whole joke with that is that those are two extremely very different audiences, except for cinephiles who like Greta Gerwig yeah. and like Christopher Nolan. Sure. Every like the general mass audiences, they're just kind of like it's probably one or the other. Like they're probably not going like, I would like to go see Christopher Nolan's love letter to atomic bombs that is two hours and 50 minutes and has the Peaky Blinders guy in it. Yeah. That's probably what they're looking at. They're like, I would like to go see the hour and 34 minute Barbie movie with Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, the La La yeah. Land boy himself. Yeah. <laughs> the baby so it is, it is this kind of thing where it's like, they are universal is like just really kind of messing around Warner Brothers is messing around and unfortunately Paramount is like one of the nicer studios out there and they are just kind of like, I guess that's it. We like spent all this time and money and advertising and marketing on this movie and we had a nice good date picked out way in advance and then like two other big studios are like, we're going to drop our two summer juggernauts just like a week after not even a week after if you do like previews and stuff like that. And then this is all happening in the midst of the writers and actors strike. Everything's falling apart. Yeah. Everything's falling apart. We're not going to have movies anymore pretty soon. Things fall apart. The center will not hold. But uh, Tom Cruise, he's still going strong. Although he's starting to look his age finally in this movie. Which is fine. No, it's totally fine. It's just, uh, it's like when you see your dad or favorite sassy good-looking uncle and you start to realize that yeah they're getting up there 
and maybe they don't need to run a marathon anymore or drive a motorcycle off a cliff. I mean, he's still in good shape. Like you he's do you. just he's doing stuff that's Hell like yeah. all right, Hell this yeah. is insane. Yep. I also saw too that I guess uh Palm Clement like skydives now too. Because Tom Cruise like introduced her to it. Of course he did. It's great. That's good. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah, she's fantastic. I'm excited to talk about her more too. You got anything else you want to put up uh pre-spoilers before we uh, jump on in? I feel like Pretty much after the first 20 minutes of this movie, we start getting into spoiler territory because yeah, masks it, are revealed. It, and makes, blah, 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 blah. it makes choices. So let's get into spoilies. Cool. All right. So we will be right back uh, and we're going to tell you who dies. For real. And we're back. Spoilies. Spoilies time. Um, so... Uh, <sighs> You know, there's stuff that happens in this movie that is going to be discussed, but I think that both of us are coming from very two, very two different angles. Uh, we'll get the big one out of the way here first. There is a uh, moment in the movie about halfway through that uh, is pissing a lot of people off, understandably, and I totally get it. Is it and pissing a lot of people off? People are fucking pissed. Okay, uh, good. Because so it's not it just me. No, it makes sense why people would be upset. However, of course, I am here to counter and contrary and explain. Oh, that's fine. But uh, Ilsa Faust's character, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson, Ferguson, who was introduced in Rogue Nation and has kind of been um, Ethan Hunt's kind of like... Uh, uh, quote unquote, uh, significant other slash um, professional stunt equal in yeah. the spy world for the past two movies. And in this one, uh, she gets killed uh, by Gabriel, who is the kind of um, face of the big bad, but also the kind of henchman, main henchman of the big bad in this movie. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his first name right, but it's like Asai Morales. And he was great. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's very good. Um, and they have a cool sword fight, cool knife sword fight, fight scene mm -hmm. before she dies on a bridge. And it's pretty sweet. I wish, my criticism is I wish that fight scene was longer. That would be nice. Because it was cool. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you're going to kill off a main character like that, give them a little bit longer epic duel before yeah. killing them off. Yeah, I feel like with the shortness of it, it is coming off of, it is coming off of, an escape sequence out of the club, a big chase scene through alleyways, a fight with Tom Cruise in an alley, and also Haley Atwell fighting. So it's kind of like it's the end, the crescendo of yeah. that. So kind of the yeah. fact that it happens kind of quickly. It's unexpected. I think it's serviceable to like what they're yeah. trying to do. And I, and I don't think we're meant to think that that's a possibility. Like we're meant to think Rebecca Ferguson's character, Ilsa, might get injured, mm -hmm. but you don't expect her to die. So right before this fight scene happens too, is that, um, you know, so I guess we should take a step back real quick and just say that the villain in this movie, uh, it's uh, very timely and funny, is AI. Is, uh... There is an artificial, an artificial intelligence algorithm known as the entity, which has been designed and programmed to pretty much take over everything that the IMF and the government and super spies does and protect us. Yeah, and has much the, in the same way that they're doing the exact same yeah. thing with actors and stuff. And, and it's Tom Cruise has the it. ability to duplicate someone's voice, their yep, likeness, everything. everything. So you know. Everyone's trying to go old school satellite, two-way radio. In this movie, they're trying to not rely on all of the tech that they've had for every single Mission Impossible movie mm -hmm. prior because they can't rely on it being true, you know? So, yes. And we have Simon Pegg's character that exactly happens where he's trying to... Um, give directions while Ethan Hunt runs through different alleyways and, and his character Benji gets duped because they the AI is able to, you know, replicate his voice and throw Ethan on the wrong trail. Mm -hmm. And that which is, is very, sort of, very cool. Which is very cool. And that leads up to Ethan not being there in time to help Ilsa. Right. But first before that, they are in a club where it is revealed that the club is, in fact, the entity. The entity is, like, all over on the screens and stuff like that. It's like this kind of blue thing. It very much reminded me of Westworld. Yeah, Of absolutely. the latter season yeah. of the, like, what was that? It was, like, that that crazy, oh, man, I, I wish I remembered the name. But the, like, 
you know, it was, it was some sort of weird, like, thrombo boo or something name mm-hmm. of the computer in, in, the oh, la- yeah. in the last season of Westworld. With the big orb. And, I mean, like and everybody would have else. the ink blot map that was bleeding out to all these mm-hmm. epic. Like everybody know? else in the world, once they canceled Westworld without finishing it, I just removed all information from my head because I'm like, well, yeah. I guess that's not going to do me any good now. And Aaron Paul's on uh, Black Mirror, so I guess he's sort of, I can scratch that itch a little bit. I guess. Uh, But anyway, Gabriel, who is like kind of like Gabriel and Paris, uh, Paris is Palm Clemente's character. They are kind of working for the entity as like the human bodies on the ground. Um, Paris is more working for Gabriel and Gabriel is more working directly with the entity and has access to the entity. And him and Ethan have a past. They have a past, which is actually really not important to this movie. I think that'll be a big one later. It's a little important in what happens right here, which is what we'll talk about. Um... But Gabriel reveals that much in kind of the way that we've seen in some other movies that he kind of the entity is an algorithm that's able to kind of see every possible outcome of every possible moment. So can scientifically and technically predict the future. And he knows that he is going to have the key, which there are these two keys that they got to put together to be able to like turn on or turn off the entity in a submarine that's at the bottom of the ocean. Um, They're kind of like having nuclear keys. Yes, like I have nuclear keys, yeah. only instead of two slots, it's one, but it goes in blah. Um, <laughs> he will have that key by the next day, and that soon either Ilsa, Rebecca Ferguson's character, or uh, Grace, Haley Atwell's thief character, who we were just introduced to, one of them is going to die. He's like, one of them's going to die. He because that's what's going to make you come after me, is yeah. that one of them dies. Which one you're going to have to decide. Yeah, he pitches it like it's a choice, but it's not really. No, it's not really, no. Well, he does kind of make the choice where he defends Haley Atwell immediately right there at the club, because he figures that both of them can take care of themselves, which is very important. But, he, but like, he's Atwell's also like character is not is not a super spy. She's yeah. not Mission Impossible IMF. She's not trained. She's a thief. Yeah. So she may have some hand to hand combat skills, but it's not assumed that she knows how to take care of herself yeah. like Elsa does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so they all run away. Uh, Tom Cruise gets in this cool fight with a lead pipe with Palm Clemente and another guy in a scary tiny alley. Scary tiny alley. Uh, he. Uh, you know, uh, does not kill her, even though he has the yes the opportunity and to. He spares her, and that's an important point for towards the end. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Ilsa Faust gets uh, stabbed by Gabriel and dies uh, just before Tom Cruise gets there, which I think is important. Um, and then this is kind of like you know people are upset because this is kind of like jettisoning the idea that. You know, you have to kill off, like, one of the few female characters, of which there's actually quite a few in this, but maybe not enough. Oh, but can you... I talk about why I'm upset about it? Because I don't think it, it matters that it's a female character. It just... I mean, yes, but I'll, I'm just, oh. this is what everybody else is talking about uh, right now. Okay. And it's like the idea of, like, it's like fridging. Uh, they call it fridging because in, like, a Green Lantern comic book a long time ago... Uh, Kyle Rayner's uh, wife got murdered and her head put in a fridge for no reason other than to make Kyle Rayner more interesting. So they just kill a female character in order to make the male main character, you know, give him uh, revenge and stuff like that. So that's why people are upset um, because it is this kind of moment that just takes away one of everybody's favorite characters from the past two and a strong female character, a really fun character that we were, you know, putting a lot of we were with this character for like, you know, six, seven years. Like it was yeah. Ethan Hunt's equal. It was fun, whether it was like a woman or not. That's the important thing to me is that the last two movies kept setting up Ilsa as sort of this fringe character. She worked for MI6. She was disavowed. She was sort of like her own, she's her own rogue, you know, agent. And, but she was an equal to Ethan. And it was sort of like a pass the torch when Michelle Moynihan's character is remarried and Ethan doesn't have any kind of happiness in his life in that way. And I was really looking forward to this movie, maybe using Rebecca Ferguson as like an actual member of Ethan's team, Mm -hmm. because we haven't really had that prior. It's always sort of been like Ilsa may or may not have her own agenda because she has motivations that she's getting pressure put on her by British intelligence or friends that are, you know, in danger or all whatever. And 
so I was really kind of excited about her like being an official support, not a support character, but just like being on the team with Ethan Hunt's character, with Benji, with Luther, and then seeing her kick ass. I was kind of excited to see her in that fight sequence on the bridge after watching the trailer, not knowing that that was going to be kind of a short sequence and that she was going to end up dying. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I was really disappointed because that happens pretty early in the film also. So we don't get as much sweet, sweet Rebecca Ferguson action as I was hoping for. I know we do have that kind of initial sequence with her being in the desert and Ethan coming to help her and get the key and all that stuff. But then she's gone because she's essentially in hiding, pretending to be dead so that they won't come after her. Mm -hmm. So I would have liked if they're going to kill her off, I would have liked for it to have happened later in the film. But I can understand that they could have killed off Simon Pegg or Vin Rames, but they chose not to. They chose to kill off Rebecca Ferguson. So in that way, I'm a little disappointed, but I can I can understand why they might not kill off Ving Rhames or Simon Pegg because they've been in the movies since so early. Ving Rhames since the first movie and Simon Pegg pretty shortly after. And especially Simon Pegg is so lovable and he's the comedic value a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. They're not going to kill him off, but it kind of sucks. You know, and, and no uh, disrespect to Haley Atwell, as the new character, but then it's kind of like a, ah, because she's kind of forced front and center because of her role, mm-hmm. but it's so in conflict with having just lost Rebecca Ferguson and the movie doesn't lose any momentum. It just keeps going, mm-hmm. boom, 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 which, you know, there's good and bad to that, but I love Rebecca Ferguson and I thought she was awesome in Fallout, so I was really excited to see more of her. So that's that's why I was kind of disappointed. Cool. Fine. So it's fine. everything it's that fine. you just said right there is absolutely true. So and also, Rebecca Ferguson's not fucking dead. You think so? Absolutely not. Everything you just said is also why you think she's not dead. They have a conversation beforehand that is like this thing knows exactly what we're going to do at all times, and the thing that we need to do is be unpredictable so and you take think risks. She's going to come back. And the one person that the AI doesn't know the most about is Haley Atwell because she's just a thief. She's not True. in IMF. So they're like, get rid of, move Ilsa Faust over to the side and yeah. make it so that we have to do Haley Atwell the whole time. We need Benji. We need Luther because they're the tech guys and yeah. we're dealing with tech. And they're trying to figure out how Fake to crack the Ilsa code. Faust's death, which she does all the time. I guess you're right. And push her off to the side. Also, Rebecca Ferguson needs to go make Doom Part 2. Dude. So they're like, all right, you can't be in this one as much because you're doing that. I guess that makes sense. But then that's the whole point of like pushing Haley Atwell to do things. I really hope you're right. And not losing the momentum is like they're trying to distract the AI and be like, yeah. you killed one of our good members. I now mean, we have to deal with this thief. That'd be so cool if she came back. It's going to happen. Totally. I they're hope not so. Gonna, they wouldn't do that. I really hope so. I really hope you're right because that would be really cool. And really validating, I think. Now, do I think that... I still don't know if Ethan Hunt actually thinks she's dead. Ah. It's possible that he does. There are, But there are moments that he, like, remembers and stuff like that where it's like, you know, Gabriel uh, murdered this one woman that, you know, we're going to learn more about probably in part two that led to his... Him joining the There's IMF. this new kind of... Um, uh, this like kind of rebranding of the IMF as this kind of savior of people who have been like criminals, criminals or accused of something, Which and then they're like brought in. Weird. It's fine. Like Luther's kind of like that in the first one. But, Luther like, is, but I, Simon Ethan Pegg's Hunt hires him, like yeah. brings him into the IMF, yeah. and there's this whole thing of like make the choice. Again, that's why I think what's going on with Rebecca Ferguson and stuff in this, like you know, while not ideal because any. Less of Rebecca Ferguson in a movie is not as much fun. Yeah. They need Hayley Atwell to make the choice. To and join. if there's like, you know, for lack of a better term, two Ethan Hunts on the team, which Rebecca Ferguson is his equal, Ilsa is his equal, she might be like, why do you need me? Sure. You have two gigantic tech guys and two, like, I think that they broke the machine on purpose and made it so that she's the only one with a mask to put her in there because she's less um, predictable Ah. for the AI than everybody else because she doesn't know what she's doing she doesn't know exactly what to do so AI is like I have no idea how a thief is going to operate in this world of spies I think that's what the whole train sequence is at the end and while it's entertaining at face value on its own I think that part two 
is going to have a reveal throughout that. It's like, no, they were actually operating that the whole time. Hmm. And the whole thing was keep Haley Atwell alive. Yeah. Because as long as she's alive, the AI doesn't know what's going on. That's also the thing where it's like Haley Atwell and Palm Clementif are the ones that like break the AI at the end because Paris gets stabbed by Gabriel because he's like, you're going to betray me because Ethan, Ethan saved, saved you. you. He, he spared your life. But yeah. then she goes up there and like saves them. And that was Haley Atwell well, she helping also, Palm Clementif. So the AI didn't know that Haley Atwell was going to be there. Right. So she also gives them the intel of where that Gabriel is supposed is. to be the only one that knows. Yeah. yeah. Where is the, the submarine, submarine is like where's underneath. Location. Yeah. yeah. So because uh, we get Wesley. <laughs> we get our our beautiful uh you know cameo from uh the wonderful charming Carrie Elways. Oh yes. Uh being whatever high up position he is in the government. He is like the uh director of like national Defense intelligence or security. security? Yeah, it's, I think something. it's intelligence, yeah. Yeah, and so we've got him and then we've got um Kitridge. Kitridge mm-hmm. from the first Mission Impossible, uh, Henry Cerny, Cerny, I'm not sure how to say that. Cerny, I believe, yep. Yeah, so he's sort of, they're at odds. Are they working together? Are they working against each other? Uh, Where they're all trying to get these keys Mm -hmm. for the silly name of the entity. It's a perfect, perfect thing of just like artificial intelligence is of its own device, literally just a program, and it can grow beyond that. But the evil stuff that usually happens in movies and that we are seeing is obviously the evil stuff that happens in real life is, um, you know, powerful, greedy, selfish motherfuckers <laughs> who want to treat it like incorrectly. And then we get some really fun uh, characters with Shea Wiggum and. Oh, he's so uh, good in and this, this movie. And this other guy who I had not seen before, Greg Tarzan Davis. And they're kind of like the two. Excuse me? Yeah, that's what it says Greg Tarzan Davis. All right. <laughs> good name. Um, but they're like the two agents that are trying to capture Hunt or. Mm-hmm. Potentially kill Hunt, but Shea Wiggum's really trying to bring Hunt in. And mm-hmm. and it's kind of implied that they may sort of know each other or they know of each other. But there's, so, there's some connection. I think I read something about, like, the character's last name, Shea Wiggum, is the same last name. Briggs. Yeah, it's the same last name as a character from the show. Oh. Like, way back when, so there oh, might yeah, be a yeah, connection, yeah. like... People always forget, too, like Mission Impossible, was the, a TV show. the De Palma one, was based off a TV show, and John Voight's character was playing the main character from the show. Right. So the fact that it was a reveal, that spoiler alert on a Mission Impossible Part 7 uh, for a 30-year-old movie. Oh, that John Voight was John the Voight bad guy? John Voight is the bad guy, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like this really fun twist yeah. in that movie that, you know, 30 years removed, everyone's just like, well, Tom Cruise is the main character. Yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got different moving pieces. You've got the two uh, government agents trying to capture Ethan Hunt. You also have Vanessa Kirby's White Widow character, um, who's awesome in this. And she wants the keys for her own brokerage deal for lots of money. And we don't know who she's meeting and where the actual entity is. So Ethan Hunt's and team are trying to follow Vanessa Kirby's character to see her give the keys. Sorry, my cat is meowing in the background, but you might not even be able to hear it. I don't know. He's just a vocal boy. <laughs> he's a vocal little boy. He's, he's like, um, in the kitchen. He is the right Tom now. Cruise of the house. He's, he he's the, just jumping off stuff yeah, constantly. Yeah, he's the Ethan Hunt of the house for sure. Um, uh, Vanessa Kirby's character, though, the White Widow, has like a really fun arc in this too. She does. Where it's like... You know, she is kind of like a villainous presence in Fallout, but like is kind of just like a neutral figure, like not evil, not good, just well, kind yeah. of like playing for the she, best part. She doesn't necessarily pick a side. She's just trying but to make the most money out of it. She's like accidentally fallen into this thing where like she ultimately is deciding the fate of like the rest of the planet. Right. Based on like who she's going to give these keys to. Right. And she's kind of like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And oh, shit. And there's two keys. And in reality... Right now, we only know where one of them are. So at, at that point in the yeah. movie, you mm-hmm. know, like she's supposed to deliver two keys, but she's sort of lying because she only has one of them. Yeah. 
So there's that plot point of getting the other key mm-hmm. and, and then Vanessa delivering Kirby the key. Also has an amazing moment in this movie where it's in the in the plot of the movie, it's it's Haley Atwell's Grace wearing a mask of Vanessa Kirby. Right. And Vanessa and like, but that's the fun thing about the mask stuff, which is like one of my favorite things about Mission Impossible 3 is you know, Tom Ethan Hunt puts on a mask of Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Yeah. But then it's Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Ethan Hunt with Tom Cruise's mannerisms trying to be Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman's character. And it's one of the greatest pieces of acting ever is like in the bathroom scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman is pretending to like he's waiting for the voice to update. And he's just like doing this thing that like Tom Cruise does and like looking at the camera like that <laughs> in this movie, like Vanessa Kirby has like a solid 15 minutes in the third act where she is Vanessa Kirby. The actor is pretending to be. Haley Atwell as Grace pretending to be Vanessa Kirby's and that's like I like that shit yeah that's the stuff where it's like Vanessa Kirby is an amazing actress well it kind of reminded me of and you know I don't like to bring it up that all that much now but like it reminds me of like when Helena Bonham Carter was pretending to be Hermione Granger. You sure. know what I yeah, mean? It's or fun stuff like and that. it's just like a fun, body swap stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun, like practical effect way for an actor to kind of flex and imitate somebody else. And that is kind of great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we do get some sweet Vanessa Kirby action where she is playing Haley Atwell playing mm-hmm. White Widow. And yeah, let's talk about Haley Atwell a little bit because she's actually really good in this. She's very good in this. I think it's like the breakout kind of role in it. Uh, cool. I mean, Palm Clementif is like everyone likes a henchman. That's pretty good. Well, I want to see Palm Clementif in more action shit after this. Well, she's, I think we will. She's cool. I think she's great. Um, and I like that they let her speak French because she is French. And mm-hmm. I forget that sometimes because I'm used to her doing her mantis voice which is very childlike and slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Haley Atwell playing Grace. Grace. Um, the thief. She's a thief. She's not an IMF agent. Grace. Grace. You keep fucking blind. Yeah, to shout out to our boy about to be Mr. Oppenheimer. But uh, He's going to get nominated for an Academy Award. I hope so he does. Cool. He's so great. He's Good so great. He deserves it. Killian deserves it. Been watching him since 28 Days Later. Yeah, My boy. Uh, with the baby blue eyes, who we won't get to see because they'll be in black and white for most of the movie, I guess. We'll see. Yeah, some Maybe. of it. Some of it will be color. Yeah. Who knows? What is it that Chris Van Rolls saying? He's like, the difference between subjective and objective. I'm like, uh, all right, man. Okay, just let man. me watch the fucking movie. Yeah, just stop. <laughs> let me watch the movie, man. Let me, I'll, just let I'll, me watch I'll let you know if that works. <laughs> Christopher right. Nolan. But Haley Atwell, you know, Peggy Carter, we love her. She's great. Uh, she's she's a little tooty. She's also, a little scared. She's one of like my one of my favorite uh, current actors right now, which are people who were in like the first two seasons of Black Mirror, like oh. before they were known, like Daniel Kaluuya. She's Don Hall Gleason. She's in the saddest with episode Hall Gleason, yeah. of, of Black Mirror with Don Hall Gleason. And if you haven't seen that episode, go back and look for I it. I think it's in the first season. Might be second. Uh, it might be first season. It's it's essentially... Remember, those first two seasons came out very close yeah, together. The premise of that is that her husband dies and she gets to purchase an AI version of her husband. And it is... That's based s- off of like his like social media algorithms yeah, and stuff like and that. And it is so sad. It's good. It's good stuff. It's very good, though. It's very good. But Haley Atwell, uh, she kicked ass. They gave her some sweet, you know, knife fight. And she's not supposed to be a, a trained assassin, mm-hmm. but they gave her some cool skills. She's got some like defense skills to yeah. be able to get out of sticky situations. Yeah. She's a, you know, a career thief who's still young and like, you know, yeah. younger. Like I think she's supposed to be probably in her you like know, mid-30s. You know what gave me, it, intentional or not, it gave me the vibes of like when Ethan Hunt was paired with, I I. I can't not say Felicity, Carrie Russell, you mm-hmm. know, when it was sort of like a, somebody he trained or felt responsible for who was younger. And so I liked that dynamic because it's not necessarily like a daughter figure, but young enough that it's not immediately going to go romantic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's sort of like their interactions in the car sequences are pretty great because yeah, Haley Atwell like steps back and is like, I'm not comfortable doing this. I'm not a stunt driver. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but some critics said that the, uh, the car chase scene in Rome 
between Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise in the car is the closest that any of the Mission Impossible movies have come to a sex scene. Really? Yeah, because like there's they're not a very sexual like Mission Impossible Two. I think I is the one that's it, the most egregious. I don't find it sexual. No, I think it's more just kind of like you know having fun and stuff like yeah. that. But it's like ooh, doo, 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 they're swapping. I I find it being like it's really physical comedy because yes. it you know it is like the effects and there's the shock value and the chase and it's exciting but then there's also like the rolling of the car which results in they've actually flipped seats and Mm -hmm. so she has to drive again and then she's driving around in circles and you know it is kind of like a fun funny sequence in a stressful situation yeah that's the part that i was talking about that's like this car chase scene that's essentially like half an hour long just keeps going they swap from car to car it starts with like a shootout and like a standoff um, they have to change cars. Yeah, change cars a couple times. There's a bunch of really good jokes in there. Palm Clementine's like driving a Hummer and she's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, you know, Haley Atwell's character is just very um, kind of in over her head. And she doesn't really trust Ethan. Nope. Uh, which, you know, she probably shouldn't because she's just, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah. Uh, and kind of just gets like mixed up in this uh, seemingly at first by accident, but then it's revealed that she's actually working for, she got hired by, um, uh, what's her face, Vanessa Kirby. Um, to deliver one of the keys. Yeah, to pick up the key and deliver it, track Ethan, and then like track who he's tracking and like, you know, pickpocket them. Uh, but no, she's really good. Haley Atwell is just like, uh, you know, she can do um, physical stuff a lot. You know, we know that from, you know, all the stuff that she did with Marvel. And she's also very funny and can be very sad. We know that from also the Marvel stuff, but also Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I like too that it's like, if you're going to... You know, that's that's why there's that conversation of just like, well, then they took Rebecca Ferguson's character, killed her off and then replaced her with like a, a slightly younger, which like I don't even know if Haley Atwell is younger. I think she reads as younger, maybe, but I think they're probably close to the same age um, for like, Rebecca Ferguson and, and Haley, Haley Atwell. Atwell. Yeah. And it's like, I think that the character for Haley Atwell is meant to is be meant to be younger, even though I think she's like 40 something. Um, but. I get that argument where it's just like, we'll get rid of the old and then bring in the new and Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise might have been in a relationship, which they weren't. Uh, and uh, uh, I think it's like Haley Atwell might be a Scientologist, which I'm pretty sure she's not. I was like no, looking that, into this. That was my question to yeah, you. Yeah, I was looking into this. I was like, what is this connection here? And okay, it's like, you no. know what? No, I, I actually did some reading since then. <laughs> my immediate gut was, is Haley Atwell a Scientologist? But I did some reading where Christopher McQuarrie saw Haley Atwell in a play mm-hmm. years ago and was like, I want to try and cast her in something that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And they kept in touch and throughout like the last couple movies were trying to figure out a character for her. And so he essentially wrote the character for her unnamed just wanted to have Haley Atwell right. in the movie and then they tried to figure out how they were going to work it into the plot. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, but like on the thing of like replacing Rebecca, replacing the old like, you know, secondary female character to Ethan Hunt with a new brand spanking new one, like yeah. the new model. I think that that's kind of done on purpose because if I am correct in that, like I this hope, is all just a thing, that's literally what they're doing, which is yeah. what movies do. And these movies are always commentaries on how movies are made and how we interact with them. And I really feel like that's going to, do I think that, they should have left it as a cliffhanger for part two. No, I feel like they should have wrapped that up by the end of this movie and have it be like a huzzah, Issa will be back kind oh, of thing. But okay. I think they're saving it. I think a lot got cut from this movie because yeah. it was already going over. My criticism would still be, I think they should have left Rebecca Ferguson in the movie longer if they're going to kill her off. I think they should have totally. made it a little closer Again, to the I think, end. Again, I think it's the Dune part two of it all too. It's like she so. had to go and make Dune. Dune! Yeah. Um, she had to go sit for those face tattoos for her character in yeah. Dune 2. In mm-hmm. how you Dune. Uh, but yeah, like on the deleted stuff too, I wanted to say there was, you know, when we knew that Kittredge was coming back, everyone was like, huzzah. Kittredge. Yeah. And then... Um, there is another character from the first one that was supposed to be in this, but I think the scene got deleted and moved to the second one, 
which I think I know what it would have been. And it's the guy who plays the dude that they make throw up a lot. Uh, they give him food poisoning. They give him food poisoning and he just, he goes pukey puke a lot. Oh, so they can get in the room. So that they can get in the room. It, that in the, actor uh, is supposed the to be The well-known Tom Cruise being a spider dropped from the ceiling. Yes. Yeah. That guy was supposed to return in this movie. And I think I know that it's supposed to be Luther says like, I got to go somewhere that's totally analog where I'm completely off the map. And <laughs> I like your Luther voice. Thanks. I didn't even mean for that. That's kind of, it just came out of nowhere. Totally off the map. <laughs> I gotta do this off the map, Ethan. 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 Um, he's got to go somewhere off the map, and we know like the last line that we heard about that character in the first Mission Impossible was Kittredge says like I want him servicing like a satellite station in Alaska by the end of the day. And we do know that the uh, submarine is in uh, Arctic Circle. Yeah. It's in like so the Bering Sea. That makes sense. Up north, that so. Luther would go yeah. up there. That guy answers the door and he's like, oh, this is awkward. I mean, he doesn't know who Luther is. No, but he Luther knows who he is. Oh, and so oh, okay. they're, they're going to end up, he's going to end up working with this team that like, you know, 30 years ago. Poisoned him. Got him sent to Alaska <laughs> just because he was puking so that they could steal a disc. Maybe he likes it up there. I mean, I sure hope so. <laughs> Maybe he has a beard now and he's relaxed. Oh, he'll definitely and, have a beard. You know, he's got to keep his face warm. It'll be good. <laughs> Yeah. You got anything else? Mission Impossible? Did I mean, again, we're getting to the point now where we're getting into the second half of the year where when we see these big movies that a lot of people are talking about, this will not be the last time we talk about this movie because yeah. especially with Oscars coming up, uh, it has been rumored that this Oscar year will be the first year that there is a stunt category. And I would imagine there's no better year to do that than right now. I mean, it's, it should have been done a lot sooner. Between John Wick Chapter 4 and this movie, I'm like, this is the year to do to do a stunt movie. Yeah, like, go. because so that's like a, a thing to celebrate and to criticize almost in this film because there's so much time devoted to all these crazy sequences and stunts. And I think we should talk about the train a little bit before oh, sure, we close out. But um, it's just that in doing so... This movie, even even though it is so long, it like is constantly going from it one moves. it moves one to the next. But I almost would have liked to have a little bit longer Ving Rame, Simon Pegg, um, back and forth. And mm -hmm. so like I actually really enjoyed the sequence of, you know, quote unquote secretly uh Benji and Luther trying to figure out how to to you know deactivate the bomb. While they're not telling Tom Cruise, while he's chasing around someone else random in the airports, because it is kind of fun to see Simon Pegg a little bit more, and we get a little bit of that in that one sequence. But then the rest of the movie is really like kick-ass action sequences that are showcasing Tom Cruise, which mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it's it's the Tom Cruise That's, show. Yeah, yep. We do have the funny uh, Simon Pegg trying to direct Tom Cruise on the motorcycle and then essentially directing him off a cliff. And then mm -hmm. that that got the biggest laugh for me out of the movie was mm -hmm. realizing that Simon Pegg knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't by accident. He was just like, well, you, you know, you've got a parachute on, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. We didn't even mention, uh, we had gotten tickets to go stunt. see this. No, no, no. We had gotten tickets to go see this on a Wednesday at 7.30 or at 7.15 uh, at a re at the closest IMAX, like Dolby, like big screen, and we get down there, and they had reset it to six thirty without telling anybody. Yeah. And but what that ended up being cool because like they refunded those tickets and they gave us passes. And Thank we just, you, AMC. We just got tickets Dan again Barry. for the next day. Just went down there and saw it, and yeah. essentially got to see it for free. So thanks, AMC and Danbury. That was I really mean, nice. We spent a lot on concessions that we just sat in the lobby and ate. Yeah, we had that big pretzel. That pretzel is the biggest pretzel I've ever I've had. I've never seen a pretzel bigger than that thing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the train scene, the big, you know, I, I wish that maybe we didn't see as much of that in the marketing or like they released that video that essentially just shows it without the effects. Oh, the train? The, I didn't know him jumping off the cliff. Oh. You know, because there, there was like, it's really fun to finally get that moment in yes. the plot and you're yeah. like excited about it and it builds up to it. And. McQuarrie and Cruz know exactly what that moment is and how it's going to affect people. But I really wish that maybe we hadn't seen the full so thing. Much. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were proud of it. 
And that was a huge marketing thing like that. They're always like, he hung, he hangs off a side of a building or a plane. Yeah. Or he, he I actually thought the helicopter. Well, because you were able to watch like a behind the scenes video of him doing that jump with the motorcycle off the cliff. I actually found the sequences where him and Grace, Haley Atwell's character are climbing the train cars. I thought mm-hmm. that was a lot more stressful and crazy to watch yeah. because we hadn't seen that footage. Yeah, it ends like with this amazing kind of like almost Looney Tunes-ish like changing of the background kind of thing as they're going through carts. It's very cartoon. And they're like, now they're in the kitchen. Now they're in like the piano yeah. dining hall. Now they're in like luggage storage. Oh man, when they are going through the kitchen car and the, the fryer is spilling hot oil and the drawers and knives and everything are sliding i'm just that was so stressful it was cool yeah it's very cool it's like each train car is falling off of this blown up bridge and they have to climb out as far as they can before it's totally gone yeah they actually keep climbing through the car you could actually feel and see everybody in the theater like lean forward in their seats when that started happening they were like oh my god yeah the whole momentum of it all of them like losing their center of gravity of having to hang on to stuff you know um I found that very awesome to watch. And that was a cool set piece to have the movie kind of finish up on. So, yeah, I think that's good. I think I liked that um, the movie didn't end on a complete total cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. I kind of enjoyed that because we have to wait a little bit before the next one. It was sort of satisfying. You know the next sequence is them going to be going to find this submarine. It's going to be going to, to, Mm -hmm. to try and, you know, stop the next person with the keys so and yeah and we'll see more of Haley atwell and i hope we'll see more of rebecca ferguson then i like your your plot i hope that it's true we'll see what happens mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean we don't know no word yet on when uh Part the new two. one's coming on out but uh you know when it does we're gonna watch it yeah it's gonna be great and i hope it's on the biggest screen i can find i mean yeah Hopefully movies are still a thing when that happens. Don't say that. Yeah. Well, uh, Diana, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Mission Colon Impossible Dash Dead Reckoning Dash Part 1. Spelled out O-N-E. There's no colon between Mission and Impossible. Yes, there is. Okay. There better be. That's the way it's supposed to be. Mission is impossible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Like I said at the top, uh, this is not the only uh, show that we have. Uh, Story Screen Presents, loads of other ones. Go to storyscreenpresents.com, sign up for the newsletter, check out reviews, check out articles, podcasts, uh, sign up for our Patreon. And also, if you live in the area or are planning on visiting anywhere in the Hudson Valley pretty soon, we do events and screenings and stuff. You can check that out in our events tab. Uh, join us for a movie bingo or a trivia night or a screening. And uh, yeah, uh, watch more movies and we'll catch you next time. Hope to see you soon. Bye.